All right, how's everybody doing this morning? Give Jesus a big old welcome. Come on, welcome Jesus into the building right now. Come on. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you something kind of funny about Daystar Church. You know why it says auditorium over the doors? I got this revelation that the word sanctuary means the place that God dwells. And I realized that the place that God dwells is not a building that we put a cross over and we assign him to, but the place that God dwells is in the heart of the people. Can I get an amen to that? And so today, because we're here worshiping, because you showed up, then this has become the sanctuary of God. Before you got here today, you know, out in the auditorium, in the lo- before you got here, you're out in the lobby, you know, you're at home getting ready. This is just an auditorium. But when you got here and the worship started being lifted up, the Bible says Jesus comes in the house and this became a sanctuary or a place of God's presence. I'm glad you're worshiping today. Aren't you glad? The Bible says this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice. That's your part. I will rejoice. Do it one more time. Rejoice right now. Just come on. Give some worship, some rejoicing. David said, I will rejoice and be glad. I'm glad you came today. Man, you could have done anything today. And it wasn't it easier to come today. We all got an extra hour sleep. I think it should be that way every week. I'm thinking to myself, why has nobody thought of this but me? I'm brilliant. We should have a congressperson bring it up before the United States Congress and let's make a law. You lose about three days a year. Could you put up with losing about three days if you got an extra night of sleep? All those in favor, let it be known by saying aye. All, it's passed. Look at there. All right. Uh, no, I'm glad you came today. And listen, in, in uh, a week and a half, two weeks, uh, a week uh, on the 16th, let me just not try to get it that way. On the 16th, uh, that's, that's two Saturdays away, we do serve day. And that is at 8 a.m., beautiful time for us to be the hands of God extended out in the community. Man, I so want you to be a part of that. If you're in a small group, you should already know what your uh, group is going to be doing. But if you haven't found that out, that's fine. you got time. We just serve. Sometimes it's public ways, you know, like we're going to like a nursing home or a hospital or a school. Sometimes it's more in a private way where we're helping someone in their home. Uh, I, I remember a couple years back being able to build a wheelchair ramp for a guy who'd been injured and he was, he was unable to uh, get around anymore and how warm it made us feel and how it blessed him. So there's projects like that going on all over. And if you're not in a group or your group hasn't anything assigned just yet, just show up on the 16th at 8 a.m. at your campus and uh, just just ask how you can help because there'll be something for you to do. Hey, I'm glad we're worshiping together in Hartzell and Madison, uh, online people worshiping all over. It's super good to be worshiping together. Uh, And listen, there's a growing number of people that attend worship service online because they can't come on a Sunday or they live somewhere else. And we're so glad that you're here. In fact, we want to welcome you. Could all of our campuses welcome the online campus right now? Just tell them how much we're glad you're on board. The only thing I would say is there is nothing like being here in person, so I hope you will come and join us at one of our campuses. Now listen, today is sort of the culmination of the beginning of a pretty big deal, okay? This is week four. This is kind of the jumping off point of our brand new three-year goal to make this church into a movement. You know, we believe, and, and go ahead and write this down one more time in your notes. I've had you write it down four times. I don't want you to ever forget it. We're going to make this church a move. Everybody say with me, move from a moment to a movement. Come on, say it again. From a moment to a movement. 
Could you just believe with me for a minute that everything this church has been all these years, reaching multiple campuses and a lot of people have been saved, delivered from drugs and alcohol addiction, people's marriages have been restored, a lot of wonderful things. All of that has just been a moment and it's going to become a movement. We're going to reach a lot more people. We're going to see so much more happen. I believe through a lot of prayer, I, I th- think I've heard that from God. I, I really do through, through prayer. And, you know, I have a, a circle of prayer around me, you know. People pray with me, pray for me, gather together and pray, lay hands over me. I so love people who have a passion and a heart for prayer so much that they're praying for me. And I really feel like that's helped me to hear that God's moving us from a moment into a movement. And while this, this, this movement involves buildings, It's really not about buildings, it's about people. It's about the reality that there are so many people, multitudes of people close to a church building, but far from God. Do you know this? I mean, people that pass by steeples all their life, every day, and they're far from God. And so all we're going to do here is, is, is create ministry space to reach people. I've said this before. We're going to build the smallest buildings for the least amount of money possible to reach as many people as God would allow us to reach. Because we want to reach out and make a difference. And the, the thing that I've become more and more burdened about is our community. It's like God is reminding me of how much our communities need His love and His power. I don't know if you've, you've been watching the news and looking at just real-life stories. I would just challenge you. A lot of you are jumping on board today. You're making commitments. You're going to be more generous than you've ever been. And, and you know, that, 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 that's a long, three years is a long time. Can I just encourage you to start looking at people, look at stories, not, not to judge or to look down on them, but to look and see the need for love. You know, I was just reading this week, you probably all heard about this, a mother in Bailenton who took a knife and murdered her three-year-old and nine-year-old sons and then tried to kill herself with that knife. And you know, my first thought was, Bailenton, we have church members who drive here from Bailenton. You guys in Hartsville and Madison may not know where that is. We in Coleman, we know where that is. It's close by. And, and my first thought was, what if we had one more small group that we hosted in that part of our community? What if that woman had joined a small group? She, she, she lived in poverty. What if we had a serve project that had reached out to her? Listen, I, I'm not condemned, or, and I don't want anybody else to be condemned like we didn't do our part, but there's always more. Isn't there one more family we can reach? Isn't there one more story that we can be a part of? Isn't that? Yeah, I don't believe for a moment that that woman, when she had those children, she ever thought, I would come to this place. She needed somebody to help her get to where her God-ordained destiny was. I refuse to believe that she's just terrified and she's an awful person, and she had nothing redemptive in her life. I know there are people that believe that. You're born the way you're going, and God's decided who's going to heaven and who's going to hell and all that. I just believe God so loved the world, the whole world, the messed up people in the world that he gave his only son, and that that woman mattered before she did that, and she matters even today. When I was reading that news story, I heard in my heart, I heard the Holy Spirit say there are tens of thousands of people, broken and hurting people, who are one godly connection away from life change. Could you let that sink in and believe that with me? There are tens of thousands of broken and hurting people who are just one godly connection. One person who tells them, you matter, we care for you. 
We'll do something. Here's my phone number. Call me if you need me. Here's this project. Could we reach into your home and help you? Hey, why don't you come to Easter with me? Here's an invite card. I just wanted to you know, break through uh, the monotony and tell you you matter, and I'll pick you up and bring you to, to Daystar for, for Christmas. There's just one. Could I, you wonder why we keep saying it over and over again. Invite your friends. Put it on Facebook. Talk to people. Join a small group. Do a serve project because we can reach. Listen, we have the power of Jesus in us. We have the hope of the world inside of us, and we can change our community one family at a time through the love and power of Jesus. If you believe it, give him praise. Come on, can't we, can't we do it? That, that's what we're called to do, and so that's why we're going to love people. I like our, uh, our Serve Day shirts. Some of you, you, you should have those if you've been doing Serve Day, but if not, you can pick them up uh, in the next Serve Day. But they're, they're big red shirts, and they, well, they might, might not be big, and if you're big, they're big. I don't know why I said big. But they're red shirts, and they have big words on them. That's what I was thinking. Love, love, love. It reminds me of the most famous Bible verse out of the mouth of Jesus. For God so, say it, loved the world. He was motivated by love. A lot of churches are motivated by vengeance and judgment, condemnation and guilt. Can we just be honest with it? There's a a problem in the American church. Jesus, there's no problem in Jesus. He was motivated by love. And what did his motivation cause him to do? For God so, say it with me love the world that he gave. He was so motivated by his love that he gave. And that's what we're doing. This campaign, if you're, if you're new today, Saturday's your first time, uh, you're kind of in a once-in-a-decade church service. <laughs> we don't do this a whole lot. Today's first fruits, and it's Commitment Sunday. Uh, this is a big deal for us, and it's a picture of where we're going. And if you've kind of been AWOL for a while, and you're like, what's happening today? I hope you'll go back and watch the messages online, get a brochure that's out in the lobby so you'll see where we're going. But essentially, we want to love people better. We want to reach people uh, more effectively. And it's going to impact every one of our campuses. We have, really, we have four physical campuses plus an online campus where people, uh, you know, our online campus is growing and reaching a lot of people. We don't call it a watch church online. We call it go to church online. And in all four of those campuses that are physical campuses, we want to make a change. At the Good Hope campus, we want to make it more relational. Because life change doesn't happen in rows, it happens in circles. It happens face-to-face. A person can come through the door, nod their head up and down, but, and then bolt right out the door and really not be changed. But a life-changing experience, a friendship, a relationship, a small group makes it happen. So, so we're going to make it a little bit harder for you guys to get in and get right out. Some of you are like, oh, no. Because I know you like to get in and get out. We want to make it a little harder, make it more homey, make it feel better, make it more purposeful. We want to create space for interaction at Good Hope. At our Hartsville campus, man, we just need space for space. Because <laughs> just every service is full in one way or another, and there's really not an auditorium. They're worshiping in what ought to be the kids' auditorium, and we're going to build that auditorium in Hartsville. Somebody say amen. And then in Madison, we don't have any space at all. We're renting a school. And, man, God has blessed us with an amazing piece of property we're going to build on. And in our, in our campus in Uganda, y'all, God has blessed Daystar Church. We are known in Uganda. Man, we have re- the president was at church. With us. The president of the country was at church at Daystar on Christmas. Is that cool? Man, I met the president. Isn't that cool? I mean, we, we're reaching people far from God thousands. And I'm not like, 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 like preachers like to use, I'll be honest, preachers like to use big numbers, you know, but genuinely, really thousands of people who either grew up in a Muslim culture or they were literally practicing Islam have renounced all that and confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
Isn't that great? Here's the problem. They, are, they love Jesus, but they don't really know how to live for Jesus. They don't know the Ten Commandments. They don't know, you know, the Beatitudes. They don't know the stuff you learned as a child, many of most of us. So we want to do a better job. We're going to raise up our leaders there better. They're going to, we're going to focus Pastor Kip's effort a lot more on missions, and, and we're going to do some work there too. So, so we're doing a lot of really cool things. In fact, let me just show you a little bit of a vision of where we think this is going, where your generosity is going to help us. I've got a couple pictures of our uh, Uganda campus. Go ahead, guys, if you want to put that on the screen, you'll be able to see. That's what the building looks like on the outside. So it actually looks a lot better than that. We don't have an updated picture yet, but it's, that, that doesn't even have windows in it. But that's, it's completely done now and debt-free because your generosity and, and other churches, by the way, have been very generous to help us do that. Let me show you what it looks like when we're having church up in there. Look at the inside. Dude, look at all those people. Uh, that's all. That's they Star Church, man, and that place is full and in love with Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to teach them how to truly be disciples of Jesus. Let me show you what we're going to do at our Good Hope campus. Go ahead and roll that video. Here's what it's going to look like at Good Hope. You see the lobby's closed in right there? Look at that. We've extended that lobby. And there's green stuff, y'all. Grass, flowers, trees. Look at those 100-year-old oak trees. I don't know how that's going to happen. I'll be honest with you about the oak trees. But the other stuff, the whole place is going to look better and create more green space more place for purposeful interaction. So when you walk out of the door here, you don't look like you've just walked right into the parking lot and we want you to leave. You'll see there's space to the left and right in the front. The lobby's going to be much, much larger. And there's just going to be a lot more space going on there. Let me quickly show you our, our just quick early designs of what our Hartzell and Madison campus is going to look like. Go ahead and throw that up on the screen. Uh, go ahead and clap your hands for Hartzell and Madison. They're clapping, I promise you, right now. Doesn't that look cool? Man, I love that. That's just a, an idea and a design. The Lord has blessed us with uh, some wonderful property, uh, 32 acres, in fact. We didn't want 32 acres, but God just dropped it in our lap in Madison. Really excited about that. Then um, in our, our Hartsville location, we have additional acreage. Uh, I love everything about that, except the architect doesn't have enough faith. There will be way more cars. Every parking spot will be filled. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that? All right, so, so that's a little bit of what that looks like. Thank you, guys. Um, that's a little bit of what that looks like. That's exciting for me to look at and see. But what it is, it's one word that, that I would describe everything I've shown you so far, and that word is vision. Can you say that word? Vision. That's all we have right now. Vision doesn't pay any bills. Vision doesn't build any buildings. Vision, you know, doesn't even design things. But you can't do anything without a godly vision. The Bible says the people of God will perish if they don't have vision. And so what do you do with a vision? Well, you remember a guy named Moses in the Old Testament. He had an incredible vision. And, and he believed that the people of God could not only be set free and, and delivered from, from the yoke of slavery. Uh, it, it so translates today because people are enslaved today. Even though they might be physically enslaved in our community, they're enslaved to alcohol and, and, and porn addictions and anger and rage and guilt and so many things. Not only can we be set free from that, we can step into a promised land. That's what, that's what uh, Moses believed, that they could go to a promised land. And so he had a vision for it. He wanted everyone to see his vision, so he sent 12 spies into the promised land. He said, this is the land God's given us. I want you to go look at what it looks like. They couldn't make video animations like that, so they came back and told them what they saw. And it was beautiful. 
I mean, it was a land, they said it flowed with milk and honey. That sounds like a very sticky place, but I'm sure milk and honey is pretty cool in the Old Testament. It's like a really cool place, has everything that you can imagine. But 10 of those spies came back with what the Bible called a bad or evil report. They said, we can't take this land. Man, those are giants, and we're grasshoppers. This is too big for us. It's too hard for us. It's too dangerous, and if we even try it, we'll be destroyed. You know what those 10 guys' names were? No, you don't, and I don't either, and nobody will ever know the names of cowards. But there were two guys, and you'll never forget their names. There were two guys that came back and said, what are you talking about? Yes, the land is beautiful. Yes, it's big. Yes, it's amazing, but it's for us. Man, that land was made for us. Man, I saw houses we didn't build we're going to live in. We're going to sleep in beds we didn't buy. We're going to control land that we haven't toiled over. We're going to drink out of wells we didn't dig. Man, this is the place for us. And my favorite line was when Joshua said, we are well able to do this. I wish somebody would say that with me. We are, say it, well able to do this. You know who those guys were? Joshua and Caleb. That's why probably in this room right now there's a Joshua and a Caleb. You'll never forget people who are people of faith. And here's what I hear the Holy Spirit telling me. First of all, he's saying we're well able to do this. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're well able to do this and we're going to do something that will be memorable. Ten people who said it can't be done, it's nothing, it's too big for us, let's just quit, let's just do status quo. They never do anything, they never remembered. We're going to do something that is memorable. In fact, I want you to prophesy. Some of you are like, oh my God, what does that mean? Do I have to have a white suit like Benny Hinn? Not necessarily. I just want you to say something about yourself and write it in your notes. Write this first thing down. I'm the Joshua generation. A generation of people who say we're well able to do it. A Joshua generation. I think that's who God's calling us to be. We can be like those who are closest to Jesus. Remember his disciples? They would go with him. And, 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 and the thing I noticed about Jesus, every time you get on a boat with Jesus, crazy things happen. Any of y'all have a friend that, like, if you get on the boat with this friend, crazy stuff's going to happen. You got a crazy boat friend, right? Jesus was a crazy boat friend. They get on a boat with him one time, and a crazy storm, a hurricane-type storm comes up, and they can't, they're wondering, where are people at? Did Paul fall over? Uh, not Paul. Did, did Peter fall over? Did Andrew fall over? Oh, my God, where's Jesus? Jesus is taking a nap. He steps up. They're like, waking up. Jesus, we're going to die. And he's like, you're not going to die. Peace. And it all chills out, right? So they get on a boat with him again. And there's another storm. Remember that storm? And, and, and this time they don't find Jesus because Jesus is walking on the water. And he looks like a ghost. I still haven't figured that out. Like Halloween Jesus is walking out there. Why does he look like a ghost? I don't know. And he tells Peter to walk on the water. Peter's the only guy crazy enough to try it. He walks on the water. Now think about you're over here, you're Andrew or you're Thomas, and you're like, okay, there's still a storm going on. Jesus and Peter are over there. I'm stuck in the boat with these knuckleheads. Crazy stuff goes on. That still worked out. They, they keep getting in the boat with Jesus. Next time you see them in a boat, everything seems fine. They sail across the sea. They land to a place called the Gerasenes. This time when they get on the dry ground, what happens? Crazy naked man is chasing them. You notice every time they go somewhere with Jesus, crazy stuff happens. And what do they do? They just keep going with Jesus. There's something special about a disciple who will say, it might be crazy, might be a little bit scared, I'm going where Jesus is going. Why don't you write this down? Write this down. I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's who I am. I do, and you, in my notes, I wrote it over to the side. I do crazy stuff. Go ahead and write that in. 
I'm a disciple of Jesus. I do crazy stuff. That analogy reminds me of, of, of Leslie, my wife. Been married to me since, I, since uh, for 25 years. She married me when I was seven. Um, <laughs> and and we've, been, we've been doing things for the Lord. I was engaged to her when I said, felt this call to preach, and I was like, hey, looks like I'm going to be a preacher. You can do something else if you want to. <laughs> and she said, no, I'm signing on. Let's do it. I'll do, I'll do what you do. And we've been doing crazy stuff for Jesus and big risks and, and, and doing stuff. And so when we sat down, Leslie and I um, tried to just really f- try to get in the flow with where you are, you know, talk about these things at night. Uh, our commitment, you know, today is first fruits offering. We're giving the biggest offering of our life. We talked about how we're going to be able to do that. Uh, we're making the biggest commitment. It's a three-year commitment. We talked about that together. And when we finally got to our number, it was a big number. It's, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm proud and excited and nervous and all that stuff together, you know, with what we're believing God will help us to do. And we back, batted it around, and I said, well, maybe we'll do less. Maybe we could do this number. And, and uh, Lacey said, no, let's, if, if you fill in this one, let's do this number. And uh, so she got up. She was in the kitchen a little bit later, and I, I walked over, and I, I said, we're doing this, right? We're, we're, we're going to do this. I'm getting excited about it. And she was like, yeah, we're doing this. And in three years from now, can we just kind of chill and just be good Christians? <laughs> can we just not do anything crazy after that? And, you know, my thought was, well, maybe, but, you know, we've been doing crazy things, and God has been so good to us. Can anybody just testify with me? I think I know who I'm talking to. That you've taken some crazy steps for God. You've, you've gotten out of your comfort zone, and God has showed up for you. Can you just wave your hand if God's ever just showed up for you? He just does that, doesn't he? I mean, you share your faith with somebody. You step up and lead a small group. You start serving. You give. You become more generous. You become a tither. Whatever it is, it doesn't always happen immediately. But when you decide, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, stuff starts happening. And this story has really motivated me. I want to take you to the scripture. The the story of David and Solomon building the temple, the greatest worship facility ever built. David and Solomon built it. And we've been just following that story over the last three weeks. I want to take to you three of my favorite verses out of this story. 1 Chronicles 28 and 10. This is where David speaks to his son and lets him know, hey, we're going to build this temple and you're going to be the point man. He says, the Lord has chosen you. Everybody say, chosen. He's chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. I think God chose us. Now, I don't mean to suggest that he didn't choose anybody else. I know he chooses a lot of people to do a lot of different things, a lot of other churches. And I'm not trying to convince you that Daystar Church is God's favorite church and that this is the most important church in the world, even though I believe all of that myself. It's not my job to try to tell you that kind of stuff. But we have, as a church, been chosen. Here's what I do believe about this church. I have never been to a church that loves like this church loves. Anybody can come to this church. It is crazy. It's not just that I have a philosophy that everybody's welcome. Man, you get on that front door and no matter who comes through, no matter who, in fact, it's not even who comes, it's like who do we go to because the church is not about who all comes here. It's about who do we go to and we go to the you know, to the, to the uttermost, right? To as many people and as far as we can go. And everybody, it doesn't matter what they've done or what people are talking about them or what their reputation is, they are welcome in this church. Can I get an amen all over this house? 
They're welcome in this place. And you know what? That's just not the case in every place that calls themselves a house of worship. And so I believe for that reason God has chosen us, just like it says, we're to be strong and we're to do the work because what this world, what this country needs is love, y'all. Love. It doesn't need somebody else to tell them how wrong they are, to condemn them and convince them of their sin. You know, we've come to a place where people don't even argue about their sin anymore. What they argue about is what does it matter? What they need to know is they were created and formed for something great and that God loves them. And we're agents of that love. And that's why God has chosen us. And then I love what he says next to Solomon and to the whole congregation, actually. Chapter 29, verse 1, he says, this work is huge. Everybody say huge. huge. You didn't say it loud enough. Say huge. huge. Now say it like Donald Trump go huge. huge. <laughs> it's huge. And, and here's why, y'all. This is not just a place for people to meet each other, but a house for God to meet us. That's why it's huge. It's not a place for connections and contacts to be made for political and business purposes. It's a place where we're going to meet with God. And this is exactly, you know what, you know what Solomon did? David was dead and gone, his father, who, who spoke these words into him. And now this building is built. And when it finally came to the, the finished product and everyone came together for the, worst, the, the first uh, combined worship service, Solomon got down on his knees and he said, God, fill this place with your presence. You know why he said that? Because before one bit of timber was laid before one little bit of materials were gathered, David had already told him, this is a place where God's going to show up. Could I be bold enough to stand where David was and tell you what David told them? Why are we needing one more building? Because this is not just a place for man to meet man, but it's a place where God's going to show up. It's where God's going to be. That sounds like you don't think God's going to show up. Don't give God a golf clap like he sank a two-and-a-half-foot putt. When God shows up, healing happens, miracles happen, deliverance takes place. God's going to show up. I still remember that prayer when we built the building I'm standing in right now. In fact, right here, because the stage used to not be that far out, right here, we dug a hole and I placed a giant family Bible underneath the concrete so that every time anybody steps on this platform and preaches, they will know that we are standing on the Word of God. Right under my feet is a Bible. We've never been about buildings. We've always been about connecting with God, allowing people to come to a place where they could meet God. And so then, after he said all those things and many more, what David said to his congregation is essentially what I'm saying to you. It's taken me four weeks to get here, okay? Here's the statement David made to his congregation. I'm saying the same thing to my congregation. In chapter 29, verse 5, he said, And now how about you? Who among you is ready and willing to join in the giving? That's what we're at this point. Challenging you to stretch yourself and stretch your faith. I I titled today's message, All In. Last week I called it Leaning In. We're leaning in. Today we're going all in. We're getting there. Now, now you Auburn fans, you will love this because I think that's your your slogan, right? All In. So you're all in. I appreciate that. Now, you Alabama fans just need to repeat after me, Jesus is bigger than football. Say it with me, y'all. There you go. Okay. So we're going in with Jesus, not with football, okay? We're going in with Jesus, and we're asking you to to be generous, okay? This This is the straight ask is that whatever your generosities look like, I challenge you to go to the next level and and not to say, well, I'm going to 
change what I call my generosity, but to literally go above and beyond. And see what God, ask what God's speaking to you. Now, if you're a guest today, we, we, we've handed out these cards for the last several weeks. These are the commitment cards that we're going to receive today. If you're a guest today, we would not want you to do that. We just want you to hear the vision of this house. See how we love this city. Let's see how we love our community. And, and come back and watch how it rolls out. And then I would just add to that, if you're a part of this church and you've been AWOL for a while and you're like, what's going on? I missed it. Get the brochure in the lobby. Pray about it. Bring this back next week. See what God would say to you. And if you're a part of this church and you don't think this is what you ought to do, then don't do anything because the last thing in the world you need to do is, is obey a man and not obey God. This man's telling you to obey God. And whatever God's calling you to do and however God's calling you to participate, I want to challenge you to help us to get there because I'm going to just go ahead and tell you the number. We're believing that above our regular giving that we can see in three years an additional $5 million. And I just need you to say we are well able to do it. It's going to happen. And that's going to create space for us to do what we're called to do. So today is first fruits. Now, some of you might wonder, well, what does that mean? First fruits is an Old Testament principle of bringing the first and best to God. So today begins this three-year campaign. And three years from now, I started thinking about where we're going to be in three years from now. It's going to be pretty amazing. But it begins when you say, God, I want you to be the first in my life. First and best. In fact, I, I, the best way for me to describe this in the state of Alabama is a good hunting story. Can I get, tell you all a good hunting story? No? Well, I am anyways. Uh, th this was on Parker's Facebook. You guys know Parker, right? Uh, guitar singing Parker. All right. So Parker is a big-time hunter. He put this on Facebook about two weeks ago. I want to share it with you. He said, this, was, this, one, this week was one for the books. To be transparent with you, I've been in one of the most difficult seasons of my life. Not hunting seasons, but my life. Lots of emotions and just junk that I may talk about later. But my pastor recognized this, and he sent me on a prayer retreat last week, uh, last weekend, to just get along with God and reignite something that was dead. You may have noticed uh, Parker was out a couple weeks ago. He was away on a prayer retreat. He says, that's cool, right? Well, for me, I struggle with this. This, is going, uh, this was going to fall on opening weekend of Alabama deer season. And I've never missed it, and I wasn't about to start. I shared with my pastor my frustration, and his response was this, Parker, it would be just like God to have you go on this trip and give God the first and come home and kill the biggest buck of your life. My apologies to all PETA members or anybody I'm offending with this story. It's all Parker. <laughs> God would bless you when you give him the first, you know. Okay, so he says, I changed my mind, my whole mindset, not in hopes of killing a big deer, but because, um, because I, I knew that my priorities were screwed up and I needed to be willing to give God my time, hunting season or not. Fast forward, I went on that retreat and it was awesome. I felt like my faith was reignited. I came home from the retreat Kill the biggest buck ever on Wednesday morning on Alabama public land. Can you show his picture? Let's just see what he did. Where is Oh, it's behind me. There it is. See, good job, Parker and Jesus. And here's what we've learned. If you're a deer hunter and you give a big offering today, you're going to kill the biggest deer of your life. No, I, don't, don't quote me on that. I can't promise that. Here, here's what I'm telling you. If you give God the first part of anything in your life, he blesses the rest of it. Is that true or is that true? 
Come on, I mean, if you're a fitness person and you decide, you know what, I'm going to make sure that my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit and I'm not going to look good on the outside without being pure on the inside, you'll end up looking better on the outside. If you give God the first part of your sales job and you know you're a great salesman and the more you sell, the more money you make, blah, 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 blah. But if you know what, I'm going to use those relationships first to, to give God praise and glory and to lead people to Christ. Man, you'll sell more stuff and you'll lift the kingdom. It doesn't matter what it is. And it is, of course, true. And it was first spoken of over our financial resources. When we give God the first, he blesses the rest. So if you decide, hey, pastor, I'm in. And I'm going to give. Let me just share with you real quickly in closing five things. If you're going to see the vision happen, here's what we'll have to do. Number one, we'll have to take a significant risk. A risk. So, so Leslie and I adopted a generosity mentality where we said this. We said three years is a long time. Let's don't see what generosity looks like for us today. Let's think about what it would look like after three years of God's blessing in our life. Well, what does that version of the Lawsons look like three years from now. We decided to take a risk. And, and you know what this, this card says, by the way? This is not a, a legal document. Everybody eyes on me. I know there are people moving around because we're going to head into a worship season, and I, it could be distracting for just a minute. This card, though, is not a legal document. Th this is saying, as God enables me, as God blesses me, as I take a leap of faith, here's what I'm going to do as God blesses me. Like Peter walking on water. And you know what? If you start to sink, you're just going to cry out his name and he's going to lift you back up. That's what this says. And it's, and it's a risk. Here's the second thing you'll have to do. You'll have to, you'll have to make a plan. You have to have a plan. See, here's what I believe. Everybody hearing my voice right now has a generous heart. You want to be a part of people being delivered and forgiven and saved and helped. But sometimes there's just no room for it. It's kind of like a piece of paper. You look at the back of this paper. You see the paper always has white space where there's nothing on it. That's called a margin, right? We call that the margin. And the reason they do that, you could every book could probably cut out 10 or 15% of the pages and make it a lot cheaper, but you can't read it. If the words go all the way to the edge and then the next paper is all the way to the, you can't even read that. It's just hard for you. And in the same way, God wants your finances to have margin in them. By the way, that's why we do financial small groups that are going on right now. To teach you how to create space. And you go over to a salesman, and, and he's not a bad guy at all. He's trying to give you what you want, and he shows you how to write in the margin. I don't have enough money. Well, let's do this. And you end up writing in the margin, and you, you're tapped out. I would encourage you to get a plan together. Leslie and I did the same thing. We said, okay, how are we going to give this biggest offering of our life today? Leslie went back in the closet, came out with cash. You know you got the right woman when she's got hidden cash in the closet. She said, you know, I wanted to go on this great vacation. I didn't want it to affect our budget. So little by little, I've been saving money for this vacation. We're going to give it to move. That's a plan. We started talking about things we didn't have to pay for, like subscriptions that we've been buying and money we've been spending and you talked about things like, you know, we don't have to do like hairdos and makeup and nails and, you know, massages and, and you know, and that's just me. That's just my part, you know. <laughs> there's some things Leslie can give up too. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But there's something you have to have a plan for. Third thing you'll have to do is get your family in unity. What does unity look like for your family? 
I'm encouraging my kids to get on board with this. Finding a way to, 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 to be generous. Fourthly, you have to think of why and not what. This, this is one of the biggest ones right here. Like, you think about buildings and money. That's the what. You got to think about why we're doing this. And the why is the who. The why is the who. Who are we doing this for? Somebody in your family is going to come to faith in one of these buildings. And you're going to say it was worth it. Some of you that don't even have children yet, because these buildings are going to stand a long time. Some of you that don't even have children yet, you're going to have children and they're going to receive Christ and be baptized in one of these buildings. Some of you that don't even have grandchildren yet, your grandkids are going to join a small group, be saved and delivered from some bad behavior. And you were a part of that. You have to remember why, and the why is who. You have to remember who we're reaching. And the last thing you'll have to do is trust God, not yourself. Leslie and I kind of came up with what we could afford to give if we stretched ourselves. And then we added 50% on top of it. We're saying, God, we can be disciplined to do this much. You're going to have to show up for that other part. That, that's just what we said. And hey, if God doesn't show up, I'm off the hook because this isn't a legal document. But God's going to, trust me, God's going to show up. He just always does. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a minute and we're going to let you pray and seek God and let you worship and just hear from the Lord on what He wants to do. Let me tell you a little quick story, one of my favorite stories about, it's kind of an analogy. There was a, there was a farmer, a man, old man who wasn't farming anymore, thank you, he wasn't farming anymore, but he had uh, a, an old rocky piece of ground and he wanted to make a flower garden. And so he started tilling it up and he noticed there was rocks and weeds and wild animals everywhere but not being one to give up he just persevered and he got all the rocks and boulders moved out of there and he had to bring in better topsoil and he got all the weeds out and he planted stuff and then he beat away the wild animals and he had to build a fence around it and he had to keep going in there and weeding it and then it was a drought and he had to put water on it and what was a rocky weedy wasteland became a beautiful flower garden. And some guy walked past it and said, man, what a beautiful garden God built. The old man got to thinking about all the hard work he'd done. He said, well, you ought to have seen it when God had it by himself. Here's the fact, y'all. Without God, we can't. Without you, he won't. He won't do it without us. This is our chance to do something with him.